Welcome aboard saying second sports. We're back with another great episode with every passing episode. We are closer and closer to the BYU game. I'm John Schofield joining me as Ward Carroll and as always Bill Wagner and Bill let's just get right into the breaking news. The game that is getting closer and closer with, with each passing day now is a new wrinkle and we're here with the latest and greatest breaking news as always. Yeah, John. Uh, well, we know of two weeks ago it was announced that there would be no fans. And when they said fans, they meant general public, season ticket holders, etc., would not be allowed into Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium for the opener against BYU. However, Athletic Director Chuck Gladchuck had a caveat saying that they, he was applying to the state of Maryland, specifically Governor Larry Hogan's office, for a waiver that would allow the Brigade of Midshipmen to attend with his uh, reasoning being that they're in a bubble, that they're being regularly tested, they're, they're not mingling with the public, and he felt that, that they could you know, be excluded from the order of no fans at sporting events because of this unique situation. Unfortunately, today, Monday, we have uh, learned that the state of Maryland has not uh, granted that waiver, and as a result, the Brigade of Midshipmen will not be allowed to attend the season opener next Monday night, and uh, so it's going to be a completely empty stadium except for the two football teams and Ward Carroll's chain crew. Yeah, Ward, I mean, we could, we'll could we be able to hear your, uh, your sweet dulcet tones on the sidelines. It, I never thought I'd see a Premier League soccer match without fans in the stands. I never thought I'd see NBA playoff games like we've been watching all week without fans, and now here we are. We're going to watch – um, maybe play BYU a week from tonight uh, without fans in the stands, just with a chain gang crew, officials, coaches, the teams. So how do, how do you think that's going to come off, Ward? Like we commented last time, it's going to be uh, something that'll take some getting used to. Um, I'm in the middle of the COVID testing process, and there, there's a lot to it. There's a timing issue, um, the, the third party that's processing it and all kinds of things. So um, – there will be learnings on behalf of everybody on the sidelines as well. Uh, so we're all getting used to this new process, this quote unquote new normal. Um, and it's, uh, there are a lot of moving parts. So I'll have plenty to say uh, the first episode after uh, the, the first game. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll just have to see. Everybody needs to be a good cheer and, uh, you know, in a binary world, uh, there's football and there's not football. So it looks like uh, we are going to play a game. And uh, that's probably as good as it's going to get about now. Well, I'll just add that Chet expressed complete respect and understanding to the state of Maryland. He was not complaining about the decision, although he was very disappointed just because he thought the unique circumstance of these mids being in the bubble and being protected and, and testing all the time really did render a safe situation in his opinion. And uh, he had mentioned that the midshipmen would have been socially distanced. They would not have been all grouped in the same section behind the Navy bench like normal. They would have been spread out uh, throughout the stadium. 
Chet did say that they are very hopeful that the state will change its mind. Navy's next home game is September 26th against Temple, and Chet was hoping, really hoping, that the state would change its mind, at least with regard to the brigade, if not additional fans, that the second home game against Temple, they would be able to have someone in the stands. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, we've, we've talked about on the pod here that we've asked Governor Hogan's office if uh, the governor will come on and talk about this. And, and we have thus far uh, not been successful, which makes sense. You know, they're, they're trying to make sure that they have all the information before they comment publicly on it. Um, I understand. I get it. Uh, I, you know, and, and I know that your story, as it always does, you know, will reflect the entirety of what's going on and um, who made what decision and when and, and how it will impact Temple and then subsequent home games as we get, you know, deeper into October. Um, so, you know, it's, it is still a very interesting time. You know, having walked the, the streets of downtown Annapolis yesterday, it was packed. Like, it looked like a regular summer weekend um, in Annapolis. Now, a lot of people are wearing masks, granted, yes, but um, it's still a very serious situation out there. And, and for the governor's office to say, we're, we're respecting the gravity of that situation by saying that there will not be fans and stands, um, you know, I'm gonna be the last person in the world to criticize them. But at the same time, I think that I've read in the last week that the English Premier League is experimenting with uh, bringing back fans like in, in like a quarter capacity. I've heard that South Florida for the Miami Dolphins and the Miami Hurricanes, they're going to allow fans. But again, that's Florida, which not to make this a political thing, Florida is a lot different right now than Maryland. So it should, it should be interesting. Um, I, like I said, I respect what the governor did. Um, Ward, if you add to like, what's your, what's your take on what the, cause you'll be the only one physically in the outdoor area of the stadium, uh, Wags and I, and Chris will, will probably be up in the press box. You know, wh what's your, what's your feeling on how odd the environment will be down there? Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, um, my proximity from the players will be what it's always been. You know, the sideline is physically where it is. Um, and we rage up and down from, you know, one end of the coach's box to the other. Uh, and during that time, I'm always jousting with assistant coaches who are trying to call in plays and, you know, uh, hurt players who are holding up those big cue cards and uh, guys with headsets on. And it's, you know, that we're not going to socially distance, you know, and, and so – um, I guess it's just a risk that, uh, that I'm going to take, uh, assuming that they're, they've all been tested, we've all been tested, so we have a ersatz or a de facto bubble on the field during the time that, that we're playing, you know. Uh, and yeah. if I'm not comfortable with that, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have said, okay, I'm willing to do the chain gang this year. Um, and so, you know, talking about the Temple game, while we're, like, thinking that, the, the matrix is going to grow. My concern is that there will be a spike um, in, in the conference after the first games are played on each of the teams and that, that the conference would, would shut down the season. You know, uh, I, I, maybe I'm always the glass half empty guy uh, here, but uh, you know, I'll be happy if we have a game 
and the other conference teams have games, everybody stays healthy and we're able to proceed. And then secondary, a distant second to that is having fans in the, in the stands. It's not all doom and gloom, um, you know, as the Navy midshipmen uh, take the field without any of their uh, shipmates and classmates in the stands and without fans in the stands, uh, there will be three tri-captains, uh, and those were announced today by Coach Niamatololo on his Zoom press conference. So, Wags, uh, you were on that press conference. Tell the listeners a little bit about who these three uh, tri-captains are and what Niamat said about uh, their selection. Yes, John. Uh, Coach Niamat announced that the captains will be uh, senior cornerback Cameron Kinley, uh, senior defensive end Jackson Perkins, and senior offensive tackle Billy Honaker. I think they're all outstanding choices. One interesting element of this, John, is that last year, for the first time in Navy football history, there were four captains, two offense, two defense. So I found it strange that this year it's three captains, two defense, one offense. Um, the guy that I think a lot of people expected would be the other offensive captain had there been four, two and two, would have been Miles Fells, the slapback, who's been an outstanding leader and is always praised by the coaching staff for his leadership skills. He's on the Navy football uh, diversity and inclusion council. So kind of surprising that Miles was not part of that group, but all three of the others have great uh, traits. Uh, Cameron Kinley is the senior class president for the entire uh, senior class. So that's a pretty impressive title. And so I, I don't think anybody was surprised that Cameron Kinley would be a captain. Jackson Perkins is what, one of these steady Eddie guys who has worked really hard throughout his career. He overcame a difficult injury. And so I think he has a lot of respect from his teammates for how he has stayed the course and earned his way as a starting defensive end. And then on the other side, Billy Honaker is just your quintessential offensive lineman down in the trenches, uh, doing the dirty work, doesn't say a whole lot. But as Coach Neil Matololo said on his presser today, that when Billy speaks, everyone listens because of the respect they have for him and his work ethic. So the three fellows that were announced today, I'm all in on them. They're, they're definitely the kind of guys I would expect to be captains. Just the only surprise to me was that it was three and not four. But, you know, the Naval Academy has criteria for captains, and I've been surprised before for various athletic teams that a certain person was not picked as a captain, and sometimes they didn't meet the Naval Academy criteria in one way or the other, which we, we don't know about. Yep, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll break that down a little bit more going forward. I guess it's an important distinction. It's not just that they're wearing three stripes uh, in the hall, and it's not just that they are named captain by their by their teammates, which means that your teammates, you know, are validating all the hard work that you're putting on, uh, that you're, you're giving on the uh, field. You know, it's, it's something that you always take with you. It's a validation of your leadership. You know, Ward, class of 82, who are the, who are the captains for, for that esteemed football team? And do you remember, do you remember your senior year, what the, uh, what their record was? Um, I remember we lost, or I'm sorry, we tied Army. Uh, one of our co-captains, Eddie Myers, fumbled the opening kickoff, which kind of set the tone, and it was a three-three tie. Um, Ooh, and we were highly favored. We were highly favored to win that year in the in the um, the vet right back when that was a thing. Uh, yep. And uh, so we were three zero and one against Army during my time as a mid. 
Eddie Myers, a good friend of mine, was one of the co-captains. And then Tim Jordan, another guy I know. I'm not as good as friends with Tim. He's a, a great dude, as I am with Eddie. Eddie and I went on our Youngster Cruise together. In fact, we were at the gym at Little Creek, and I was spotting Eddie on the bench, and he was benching 450 pounds. <laughs> I'm like, Eddie, all you, bro. Seriously, all you. And he's just putting it up like three times, you know. Um, so good man, great guy, great Marine. Um, went on to play with the Falcons off and on. Um, and uh, his daughter was on the Olympic team. So, yes, he was one of our co-captains. Deservedly nice. so. Nice. Well, um, I'm glad you brought that up because speaking of good Marines, uh, you know, we are going to transition immediately to our, uh, to our alumni segment. So we're talking about football. We're talking about the lead-up to, uh, to the Navy-BYU game. Uh, and joining us all the way from Germany. Um, so, you know, it, it, pretty far away, but when, when Zerbin Singleton watches the BYU um, Navy game on Monday night next week, uh, he'll be as much of a fan as anyone else will be, uh, despite the fact he's in Germany, since we now know that there will be no fans, nor will there be any midshipmen in the stadium. Uh, so Zerbin, um, it, who has made a great effort to join us here, it's late at night, Germany time, uh, but he's joining the Sing Second Sports Pod. Let me just give you a little bit on Zerbin Singleton. He, he, Zerbin was the inspirational leader of a football team that won 35 games and went 8-0 and against the other two service academies. So Zerbin won four straight Commanders and Chiefs trophies and participated in four consecutive bowl games in a four-year four year span. So that's pretty good. Uh, finished his career with 678 yards rushing, 10 touchdowns, caught 16 passes for 323 yards and one touchdown, and nine of his 11 career touchdowns came in the final five games of his career when he just kind of went off. Now, his career really didn't end there at the end of the football season. Off the field, Singleton was selected as the brigade commander for the second semester of his senior year, um, which is a fantastic um, Award And then as he, uh, or a fantastic uh, leadership role in the brigade, and then as he was about to graduate, he was awarded the Thompson Trophy Cup, which is presented to that midshipman, male or female, who's done the most during that, that senior year to promote athletics at the Naval Academy. Zerbin was uh, commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps and is now an aviator, uh, like I said, stationed in Germany. So after all of that preamble, Zerbin Singleton, thank you so much for uh, joining Sing Second Sports. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's definitely a pleasure. Oh, no, it's, uh, it's, it's the pleasure is all ours. So we're, we're leading up to the football game. We talked to a couple of class of 92 guys in the last pod and Dave Lillifloren and Mike Davis. Uh, so, you know, we, we've taken care of the big lumbering offensive lineman alumni. Now we're, now we're getting into the more like, you know, athletic uh, guys who are actually still in the Marine Corps. So for our listeners who might not be caught up on what you've done since you were commissioned, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your aviation career, what platform you fly, and then what you're doing in Germany now. Definitely. So I, I, I started out flying 46s and I transitioned to Cobras. In uh, 2014, when the 46s went away, currently I'm the uh, air officer for the Special MAGTAF. Where uh, they're currently in Kuwait. I'm just in Germany for a little bit. Hopefully, should be going back to Kuwait pretty soon, uh, serving as the air officer, which is my ground tour. And then at the end of this tour, should be going back to the cockpit. So you're not Very nice. they're decommissioned to whiskey, right? Are you flying Zulus? What kind of Cobras are you flying? 
I'm flying Zulus. So yeah, when I transitioned from the 46, I went straight to Zulus and I've been flying those since 2014. That's a kick-ass so, airplane for those who don't know out there in the listening audience. That's badass. Yeah. And, and Zerbin, you know, I can remember when Zerbin was playing that, um, you know, much was said about not only your ability uh, on the football field, but your leadership ability um, your leadership ability off the football field, which you have now you know, shown you, you're uh, a major in the Marine Corps, probably getting close to a Lieutenant Colonel pickup, or did you just make major? I've been a major for two years. So probably be two or three more years until I'm on the board for Lieutenant Colonel. Got it. Now, before I, before I kick it over to WAG, so I know it's going to have a, a lot of good questions for you about your playing career. We ask every single alumni who's on here, how do you think, um, your career or your involvement uh, on the athletic field, your fulfillment of the physical mission at the Naval Academy set you, set you up for success um, in the Marine Corps, in the cockpit, um, you know, and, and facing the myriad challenges that are out there for any commissioned officer, uh, not only from a leadership perspective, but from managing, you know, crises and budgets and everything else. How did, how did the football field prepare you for that? Any team sport definitely sets you up, but, Specifically in football, I mean, you have to be a close-knit group. And because you're dependent on all 10 other players to do their job, if one person doesn't do their job, then that whole play can mess up. And that's specifically in the Marine Corps. If, if I'm, the, I'm a pilot, but if one of my maintainers doesn't do their job, then maybe that plane doesn't fly or something happens. Uh, I fly with a co-pilot. If the co-pilot isn't doing what their job, I'm not doing my job in the cockpit, then that can mess up a mission or it could mess up a target that we're trying to strike. On a greater level, with just leadership, you learn a lot about leadership on the football field. You have to make quick reactions, split decisions, and you have to do that in hostile, hostile territory in a sense, uh, whether it's the fans, whether it's the other players, um, you're facing opponents that are bigger than you, maybe even be stronger than you. And you have to go out there and perform every minute of the game for those 60 minutes, which ultimately is a lot longer than 60 minutes. So uh, from working under pressure, the leadership, uh, just being a team player, counting on other people to do their job and having people count on you to do your job, I mean, it's, it's just the epitome of, of being a leader and then being in the military. Hey, Zerb, good to see you. It's Bill Wagner. Uh, I have to say, uh, start off by saying that Zerb was one of the toughest slotbacks Navy's ever had. And uh, anyone who understands the slotback position realizes that they block for each other. If one slotback is taking the pitch out, the other slotback is blocking for them. There was never, has there ever been, a better blocking slot back than Zerb Singleton. And he was often blocking for a very, very good fellow slot back, Reggie Campbell, who was a dangerous weapon, one of the best Navy's ever had. And my lasting memory of Zerb is Zerb made a block, a crunching block on one player, and then crawled on his knees, hands and knees, crawling forward another three, four yards to block someone else. He took out two players in one play, and the way he did it was because he didn't get back to his feet and run down. He crawled on his hands and knees to go get the next guy. So that's the kind of player Zerb Singleton was, one of the toughest. Let's go back to that senior season because it was special. 2007, the 
that was the year the Navy broke the streak and finally beat Notre Dame 46-44 in triple overtime in an epic game at Notre Dame Stadium. Zerb, that's got to be a memory that will stay with you for a lifetime. Yes, uh, definitely. That was a crazy game, triple overtime. Uh, it was super long. Uh, it, was, it was just amazing feeling. And obviously, the you were part of an era that saw Navy really build itself into a consistent winner under Paul Johnson. And can you just talk about, you know, coming in as a freshman into the program? And when you were a freshman, they had just started turning things around. But during your four years, Navy really got it going under Coach Johnson with a multiple bowl appearances, a lot of success. Uh, can you just kind of talk about that era that you were there and how proud you are to have been part of that time in Navy football? It was definitely a great time. Before I even got to the academy, I didn't I didn't know Navy's record before I got there. I think somebody asked me, are you, are you going to play at Navy? Do you know their record? I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to play football. It doesn't really matter. But, I mean, before, before I went to the academy that year, I was actually at Georgia Tech. I walked on, and the atmosphere at Georgia Tech – under then the coach uh, Chan Gailey, like the practice was way different. They might maybe hit once a week for two periods. Uh, they didn't condition. Um, but when I got to Navy, it was completely different. And a lot of that has changed now. When I first got there, even the quarterbacks were live. We conditioned for probably uh, three or four days. Of, we conditioned on, on Thursdays as well. Um, we were live just about every practice, most periods. And like I said, even the quarterbacks were live. And, and Coach Johnson, and the rest of the staff, everybody that's there, well, probably about half the staff now was there under Coach Johnson, and they just continued to, with that with the legacy that that he uh, kept going. And I mean, starting when I first got there, we had the old locker, old old locker room. Now it's been renovated two or three times now, where it was probably as bad as a high school locker room when I first got there. And it was just the like you, if anything, you're going to be tough, and you were going to you were going to play to the whistle and you weren't going to make the least mistakes. And that, that's what we prided ourselves on. And uh, I mean, like you couldn't even run out of bounds. <laughs> uh, one of the things I'm not going to say what coach would say it. You'll probably know it, but he, he would say, who told you to run out of bounds? You're not that valuable. Uh, so uh, we, we worked hard. <laughs> we were physical. Uh, we were going to play until the play until the whistle, and we and that's just the the mind the mind state and that we had at that time. Well, it could have been Coach Johnson could have easily said that, but I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if Coach Munkin, who was your slot backs coach then, could have said the same thing. It was a Coach Johnson quote. He had a lot of famous <laughs> quotes. Last thing for me, Zerb. I mean, I seem to recall that when you were a senior, and I wrote about you being the brigade commander, and then even. Beyond after you graduated, you had talked about a desire to become an astronaut, and certainly you're doing great things in the aviation community, but I'm wondering if that is that uh, dream no longer alive. Um, kind of just tell me whatever. Hey, I know you, you wanted to be an astronaut, uh, but I know how reality is with the military. Your path sometimes goes another way. Now that that uh, dream is still uh, alive and kicking. Uh, unfortunately, because I wasn't finished with my master's. I'm currently working on my master's at Purdue in aeronautical and astronautical uh, engineering. Because I wasn't finished with it, I couldn't apply this past March. I applied 
about four years ago. I think it was four years ago in the next one. So when the next applications come out in three to five years, I'll be ready again to apply. And uh, yeah, still my goal is still working, working at it and trying to make myself more compatible when the time comes. Yeah, well, in previous pods, we had, uh, you know, we had Nicole Anapu, man, uh, who's currently in the astronaut program. Kayla Barron, we're trying to get her. She's uh, in the astronaut program. So, I, you know, we, we wish you luck on that. I, I know that, you know, if you set your mind to it, you'll, uh, you'll get there. Ward, go ahead. Well, I mean, you know how it is, Major. Whatever path you take, it's going to be a good one, right? Squadron command, wing command, uh, it's win-win for you. Um, so what's up for you next tour, do you think? So uh, next tour, I'll be up for orders uh, next summer, and she'll be going back to the squadron, hopefully do my department head tour. Uh, looking forward to getting back in the cockpit. So are you a New River home-based kind of guy? Is Are you East Coast uh, Marine? I'm West Coast. I've actually been in uh, Camp Pendleton just about my whole flying career. Okay. That's where the Cobra is, is based down at Camp Pendleton, or is it up at Miramar? It's, it's Camp at Camp Pendleton. So. Okay. They just recently got the Zulus on the East Coast, so there is a chance that I could move out there next. So we'll wait and see. So Zerb, I'll I'll finish off by asking you. Wags brought up the um, incredible forty six forty four game against Notre Dame. You know, you did end your career. You had fifty five yards rushing and a touchdown um, on five carries against Army in your last Army Navy game, and you caught a fifty eight yard touchdown pass in the final minute against a really really good Utah team. Uh, that year for, for you, what, what sticks out for you as your, as your most precious memory, the, you know, the memory of, of, of one event in your football career that you're going to tell your kids and grandkids about, you know, what sticks out? I think it's definitely, definitely a Notre Dame game. I don't think much can top that uh, overcoming a 43 game, I mean, losing streak. And then, and then just the, just the, the rivalry of sad to see that it, it had to end this year uh, as far as the longest running Street for two games being played, definitely just a crazy game. I can. It's one of the few few games where, like on a video game, loud that it feels like the field is shaking. Uh, I can't <laughs> hear the plays. I remember Kaipo running down the line, telling us uh, different audibles, and um, I remember Ray, <laughs> I remember one play. Uh, Reggie tried to throw me a halfback pass. That didn't go so well. How'd, uh, how'd that work out? <laughs> now that was the game right i because I, I know that there are there are a couple of like major victories over notre dame in that time but was that the game where where ram vila had the sack on on uh i think it was brady quinn right yep. where he's uh-huh. like literally horizontal in the air like it's one of the best yep. photos i had it up in my office forever um so that was the yep. same game that's that game oh man that game yeah. was nuts. We were watching it down in uh, Southern Maryland with some alums, and we were all hoarse. It was nuts. <laughs> that I think that's maybe the one of the greatest Navy games ever. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, hey, Zerbin, we really appreciate hearing uh, the stories about when you were played and and the environment that was there. And and I know that all the listeners will really uh, really appreciate. You know, knowing that you're still out there doing great work for the Marine Corps, you're currently, you know, you're essentially deployed right now and making some time for us, you know, sort of it, it from your own fob. Um, but really appreciate the time. We wish you luck as, as you go off and, and perform the mission. And as we get through the football season, um, you know, WAG's already put out a couple of good articles about how thin the slot back position is this year. 
uh, maybe we can get you on if you have some time to kind of give us an evaluation of how the slots are doing and how the season's going. We'd love to hear from you again. Definitely. I'd love to be back on. Awesome. All right, Zerbin, thank you so much and good luck going forward. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was Zerbin Singleton, uh, U.S. Marine Corps major and aviator joining Sing Second Sports. We are going to go to break. When we come back, he'll get into Bill's position breakdown, which we're going to do in every pod uh, leading up to the BYU game. So stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at we sing second. That's at we sing second. Now back to the pod. Okay, we are back. Um, and as we keep discussing, the uh, football season is right around the corner. And uh, like we have been doing uh, in past pods, we're going to continue to break down certain position areas. Uh, for those of you who don't subscribe to the Capitol or don't read uh, Wags's uh, breakdowns of these positions online from his Twitter account or on the Capitol Gazette website. We are bringing it to you on this podcast. So this week, we're going to break down fullbacks, really important position from the Kyle Eccles of days of old to Eric Catani um, to, you know, the current crop, which is very, very good. The uh, fullback position is a huge part of the triple O. And then also uh, shifting to the other side of the ball, we're going to talk about the secondary. Um, you know, Navy plays a lot of high-flying offenses, not just Houston, but Memphis and, and other teams that have great quarterbacks, quarterbacks who eventually play in the league, and uh, those secondary positions are a huge part. So without any further ado, Wags, go ahead with your breakdown. Let's start with the fullbacks. Yeah, John, uh, you know, the Navy's had some pretty good fullback tandems over the years. Sometimes it's one guy is the, is the alpha male big dog like Kyle Echo. I mean, it, you weren't using another fullback when Kyle Echo was the fullback. And at that time in program history, they didn't have a, as quality a number two. Um, but there's been some tandems. Like you remember Adam Ballard and Eric Catani – two of the best fullbacks Navy's ever had were on the team together. In fact, I remember a game against Eastern Michigan in Detroit when Ballard, who was the starter, could not go due to injury. Katani filled in and had a great game, and that's kind of how we were introduced to Eric Katani. And then another really good tandem that I can remember was Noah Copeland and Chris Swain. Noah Copeland was kind of a, you know, power between the tackles guy, and Chris Swain had a little bit of speed and could get outside and he was a finisher with some finishing uh, speed so I believe that the current tandem is one of the best Navy's had uh, Nelson Smith was the starter uh, going into the 2019 campaign and was doing well he was having a good season there's nothing to complain about he was he was performing well but Navy out of nowhere discovered Jamel Carruthers uh, one of the most interesting stories in a while, started the, the season on the junior varsity, actually played in a junior varsity game, and then did some things in practice to really catch the notice of coaches. In fact, what they told me is they record certain uh, things in terms of speed and hitting holes, and he was coming up really well on their uh, 
metrics as far as certain things he was doing in practice. And that's kind of what got him a, a spot. He got into the game at Tulsa, had a nice catch for a big gain, a first down, and then broke a couple runs, had a touchdown at the end. And next thing you know, J- Jamel Carruthers took over as the starter. He just kind of seized the position away from Nelson. Uh, Carruthers wound up rushing for 734 yards and 14 touchdowns in 10 games. And it really wasn't 10 games. He really only played about eight. He had two games in which he didn't see that much time. So really it was like eight starts that he piled up those numbers. And you might recall, John, they had this fullback trap play that just was devastating. And the offensive line deserved a lot of credit because they were creating massive holes that you could drive a tractor trailer through. But Carruthers, what makes him special is he has an amazing burst. He hits the hole as fast as any fullback Navy's ever had. We should note that Jamel was a slot back. He was a record-breaking tailback in high school in Kentucky, Bowling Green, Kentucky, um, Gatorade Player of the Year, really highly decorated high school player, came to Navy as a slot back, and moving him to fullback was what a, just a brilliant move. He has proven the perfect fit there. But, you know, Nelson Smith, you know, he, he still looks at himself as the starter. So it's, it's interesting in that as you, as you talk about this, like the, the, and I remember the Ballard-Katani um, tandem so well, and, and that was usually like, you know, not to overuse the old school uh, phrase of like three, three yards in a cloud of dust, yeah, but those were like bigger dudes, bigger shoulder pads, like trying to knock down a nose tackle and and maybe like pick up a fourth and one. Whereas now the Carruthers paradigm, you know, it, it it's so athletic. And as we were talking to um, as we were talking to uh, Zerbin Singleton about like the the sheer athleticism that's not only required from the slots to to not only like read defenses, take the pitches have speed to the outside. They also need to block the shit out of, out of, you know, their assignments because the rest of the option offense is, is dependent on it. So, you know, the, 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 the athleticism that Carruthers brings was, was really a breath of fresh air last year. And, and I agree with you. It's a really strong position this year. Right. Well, Carruthers is a home run threat. I mean, you get him out in the open, he's gone. He was like, Malcolm Perry Jr. in that regard last season. If he got out in the open field, nobody was catching him. And so that's where the 14 touchdowns came from. He, he was gone, and I think at least 10 of those 14 touchdowns came on that fullback trap play in which he just broke through a massive hole, was raced past the second level, and no, none of the defensive backs could catch him. But going back to Nelson Smith, I'm not. I think Nelson Smith is due for a big year. I think he has got something to prove. He's got a chip on his shoulder. They talk about what a great teammate he was and how supportive he was of Carruthers. You know, losing your starting job really for no reason. It wasn't due to lack of performance. It was just that this guy was so dynamic. He just kind of took over. But I think Nelson Smith really has something to prove. And I have a feeling you're going to see some good things out of Nelson Smith, Johnny. And then behind them. It'll be interesting to see if another th- fullback even gets any playing time. But they do have two pretty good guys they like. Isaac Ruos, who got some action last season before Carruthers emerged, and uh, James Harris. Uh, James, uh, Coach McDonald, Jason McDonald, the fullbacks coach, 
had nice, th nice things to say about Harris and Ruos on his, his uh, presser with the media. So they, they're pretty deep at fullback, Johnny. So do you think, based on stuff that you know, we've been talking about and based on you know, what you're hearing out of a lot of like, so I'm going to nerd it out here for a second. Um, you know, I was watching Hard Knocks uh, on HBO last night not just because Liev Shriver has a voice like an angelic, um, yeah, just, just it's, it, it, my, my life is whole when I hear Liev Shriver talking about football. Um, but they were, they were discussing the dynamics of what COVID actually does to hurt, hurt walk-ons, hurt people who are not like proven commodities. But on the other side of that coin, because there is less conditioning, because there is less prep, because there is less known, do you think that in the college game, specifically for Navy, do you think that it's going to be a case of a lot of guys getting looks because maybe Carruthers and Smith are, are not necessarily like ready for all of that workload because of the, like the, the non-COVID um, you know, op tempo that they're used to, or is it going to be a case of, Hey, these are our two known commodities. We're riding these two horses and people who might've been a diamond in the rough are not going to see the field. You know, that is a really good question, John. I tell you what, I don't know the answer. I think it could go either way. You could find out that they're not pad ready, as you say, they haven't been getting hit in practice. So, you know, they may get dinged up early because they're finally getting drilled by linebackers and you might lose one of those fullbacks. I mean, those fullbacks take a pounding and they are not being conditioned for that during preseason practice. Um, but then the other side of the coin is that, you know, the younger guys didn't get spring ball. They're, that's where they get their reps. That's where the coaching staff really looks at them. The, Jamal Carruthers wouldn't have taken many reps during the uh, – during the spring, they know what he got, they got in him. They would have rested him. So a guy like James Harris and a guy like Isaac Ruiz would have gotten a lot of repetitions in the spring. So it could be a case to where they're not quite developed and not quite there. It'll be interesting to see how that dynamic unfolds. But that is a very good point you make. Yeah, it'll be a wild card. I mean, if you watch the NFL, and I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this pod do – yeah, that you need a really good running game to open up the passing game. Now, Navy doesn't really have a passing game. So, really, it's the slot backs who become the passing game, quote-unquote. I'm using air quotes for our audio medium. Yeah, so if you don't have the fullbacks really keeping the defense honest with those middle bursts, it sort of hurts the slot backs' ability to get to the outside. So... So, so much of this offense, not to belittle, you know, what Nehemiah and Ivan have, have thrown into this offense by, by oversimplifying it that way. But, yeah, you know, this is a really, really critical uh, position. And, and all of the names that we've said, and we're leaving out a ton, all the names that we've said along the line were, were huge parts of, of making maybe a winning team. So, um, well, on that, let's move in another direction and talk about the secondary, also a very critical part, as I mentioned in the, uh, in the beginning. Who are, your, like, who are your MVPs in the secondary? And then who are the names that people might not have heard yet or so far who might actually break onto the scene? Well, secondary is the strength of the Navy football team, no question this season. 
uh, all four starters returning. You got Michael uh, McMorris at one cornerback position, Cameron Kinley, who was announced on Monday as a tri-captain, is uh, another returning starter at the other cornerback position. And then safeties, you got Kevin Brennan and Evan Falkman. So four returning starters, all of whom performed well last season. Now, I would say that McMorris is clearly the number one cornerback, and we should remind the fans that McMorris considered transferring. Um, he was in the transfer portal, pulled his name out. I actually asked him about that last week doing, during a Zoom presser, and you know we, we talked about this, being away from the academy, being away from your brothers, and he kind of was in a bad place, he said, and he's really glad that he came back and is part of the fold again. But McMorris is the guy that you're going to – you know, if you really got a receiver you need to shut down on the opposing team, you're going to put Michael McMorris on him. Kinley had a solid season. He's a tall, rangy guy. He almost looks like a safety with his body make. But uh, Coach Brian Newberry, the defensive coordinator, wants to see McKin Cameron Kinley be more aggressive, more assertive. There was times last season when he was hesitant in the run game or hesitant to close on a pass. He just – he, he, he needs to be more aggressive and more decisive. So Kinley can improve, but he is very experienced. He played all, he started all 13 games. And over at safety, John, you look up, uh, Kevin Brennan was the second ranked tackler on the Navy foot defense last season. He finished with 81 tackles on, behind only Diego Figo. Um, 50 assisted tackles, 31 solo. Um, Two interceptions, four pass breaks. Kevin Brennan was very good, but Evan Falkman, who he's an interesting case. Evan Falkman came to Navy as a quarterback. He's out of Archbishop Spalding High in Anne Arundel County, local kid. Um, he was a quarterback in high school, was recruited as a quarterback, got switched to defensive back, initially was playing safety. They moved him up to the striker linebacker position, but then Brian Newberry came in and they moved him back to safety. But Falkman and Brennan are both really talented. They cover a lot of ground back there, running the alleys, you know, providing the being the free safety last line of defense. But overall, those four starters are pretty good, good darn good, John. So as we approach the BYU game, and we'll do a more uh, robust BYU preview, but much has been said that you know the the strength of BYU, and we can go over quarterbacks for years and years, starting with Mark Wilson to Robbie Bosco to Ty Detmer to Taysom Hill playing for the um, New Orleans Saints now. But Zach Wilson, you know, came on last year and was a very very good quarterback. I also see on the BYU depth chart they have a kid named Baylor Romney, who I can only assume is related to the Utah Senator Mitt Romney. So you've got a really, really good offense and a traditional throwing, high-powered, quarterback-centric offense coming in game number one. Not that Notre Dame was going to be any other treat, but how do you think the secondary, with all of the experience that you just mentioned, handles someone like Zach Wilson? Well, that's a very good question, John. And yes, BYU is a traditional passing offense. They throw it around, chuck it around. In fact, you know, interesting aside – uh, when Coach Ken Niamatololo was being recruited to become the head coach at BYU, the rumor as to how it kind of fell apart at the end and why he decided to stay at Navy was that BYU kind of said, look, we love you as a leader. 
you're the type of person we want to lead the BYU football program. However, that option offense, that's not kind of what we do here. We like to throw it around. And the rumor was that they wanted him to hire Ty Detmer as the offensive coordinator. And Nehemiah basically was like, look, you get me, you get my offense. I'm a triple option guy. I've never really talked to Ken about that and asked if it was true. But the bottom line is they hired Kalani Sataki as the head coach. And sure enough, Ty Detmer was hired as the offensive coordinator, and they continued to throw the ball around. Uh, I just heard today, Monday, as we're taping, that Wilson has been officially named the starter, which is not a surprise, to be honest. Um, but it's going to challenge us to that secondary, and that's why we'll kind of talk a little bit about the depth behind those four that I already mentioned, because when you're playing a team like BYU that will put five and six wide receivers out, you have to play what they call – nickel and dime defense where you bring in extra defensive backs and I'll tell you some of the names that Navy has behind the four starters that we mentioned so Navy has two other senior cornerbacks that have been around and have playing experience that will help behind McMorris and Kinley you've got uh, Micah Ferrara and you have Marcus Wiggins both have seen a lot of action they're going to get playing time an up-and-coming corner that they like is Caleb Clear. And then behind Falkman and Brennan at the safety positions, Derek Atwaters, John Marshall, and Mitchell West. Those are the names I'm hearing as kind of the next guys up at safety. But you're right, John. In the American Athletic Conference against passing offenses, you're going to need more than four defensive backs. You're going to have to bring in an extra corner or an extra safety to help cover multiple wide receiver sets and Navy has been fortunate to perform fairly well against these passing offenses of the American since they joined the conference. Yeah. And you've got, I mean, it doesn't get any easier. You know, I've always said that the American is the most diverse of the conferences in that you get all of these different offenses and all these different talents. The SEC is the SEC, but you don't have a lot of uh, a lot of mix and match there. Like everyone is kind of running the same uh, the same type of offense and the same type of scheme. So right after you go from playing the passing heavy BYU Cougars, you know the the mids are going to have to face Temple, um, and you know Temple's quarterback is a guy named Keon Mitchell who who uh, transferred from Iowa State or Real Mitchell um, from Iowa State, and then they play Tulane. Uh, their quarterback is a transfer from Southern Miss, a guy named Keon Howard. Now, both of these guys are more like run and gun type of quarterback. So it's going to force it's going to force Kenny and and Coach Newberry into changing a lot of schemes, but you know, in, into also you know relying on the secondary to not only be able to combat the passing game, but be available for you know for a pretty athletic set of quarterbacks who are going to run it on them too. Right. Well, you're exactly right, John. Temple and Tulane both will play smash mouth football with you. Temple has always had a good tailback who's going to run it down your throat and they use the run to set up the pass. And Tulane under Willie Fritz, he comes from an option background. He likes what they call the zone option. It's a different type of option system, zone blocking option, uh, but he likes to run the ball. I mean, so you're absolutely right. You think Houston and, uh, Tulsa and Memphis are kind of throw it around 
spread passing attacks, but the the uh, the American Athletic Conference does have some teams that want to run the ball. Temple among them, Tulane among them, and Cincinnati among them. So you're right. Uh, Navy's going to face t- Temple and Tulane teams that are going to try to run it down their throat before they throw the ball. We uh, will continue to break down the uh, the positions so that you hear from all of those positions as we go forward uh, tackling this very unprecedented season. Uh, and again, if you want more material um, on, on what WAGS is talking about, uh, check him out on Twitter, check out the Capital Gazette website. Awesome articles this week. Um, you know, a lot of mentions of Malcolm Perry kicking ass with the Dolphins about uh, Quisenberry coming back after his five-year commitment in the uh, Marines and getting signed by the Pats. And then these position breakdowns that we're talking about. As always, please find Bill on Twitter and at the Capital Gazette website. We are going to go to break. Stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. All right, Sing Second Sports fans. As we go to break, I wanted to drop a little bit of awesomeness on you uh, from us here um, on the podcast. We all know that uh, September 7th is the first game of the season, Navy against BYU, 8 p.m. at Navy Marine Corps Stadium. No fans, no mids, no one at that game other than the players. It also changes a lot of what a lot of us do for uh, watching and celebrating football, which is tailgate, uh, go out and eat and drink and be merry with each other and watch the game. And so we will do a virtual tailgate, a, uh, a happy hour via Facebook Live from 6 to 7 p.m. on uh, Monday the 7th. We will bring in a lot of special guests via Zoom during that 6 to 7 window. And it'll be a way for as many of us as possible to share in the lead up to the 8 p.m. kickoff for Navy BYU. Since we can't be in the stadium, since we can't be in the parking lot tailgating, we figured that we would bring you a virtual experience. Well, part of that virtual experience will be a cocktail of the week. And we're gonna call this uh, week one. This will be the BYOC, the bring your own cocktail. Uh, Our friends at Dry 85 have helped us develop a cocktail that you can either make in your own home if you'd like to rely on our sponsors, Mills Fine Wine and Spirits, to get those accoutrements uh, to make that cocktail at home, please do. You can also watch the game from Dry 85. Uh, The game starts at 8, but Dry 85 closes for indoor dining and viewing at 10 p.m., not to mention because of the COVID pandemic, there is restricted seating in there. The third thing you can do is grab the BYOC cocktail from Dry 85 um, in a little to-go pouch that they had specially ordered when the pandemic first started. So you can get the, the, the drink packet, bring it home, celebrate with your friends in a socially distant or controlled environment and still watch the game sort of like we used to. Uh, we're gonna debut a video to support this endeavor to show you what the drink is all about. Our friends at Dry 85 uh, are very detailed in explaining how you make this drink, but it's a it's a derivative of the old Brown Derby if you're a bourbon lover, and certainly Dry 85, which is a bourbon bar, they are bourbon lovers. So uh, take a look at our video, check us out on social media, and we'll put more info out about the Monday evening virtual tailgate again 6 to 7 p.m via facebook live follow us here at sing second sports for more information
All right, welcome back to Sing Second Sports, brought to you by Mills Fine Wine and Spirits. Great conversation today. Um, not only Wags's position breakdown, which is really, really good, and it just seems like every position this year is so radically different from last year, either because of opt-outs or transfers or injuries or just our lack of access, uh, as Wags was talking on the last pod, that you really just don't know what you don't know. What you don't know. Um, and, and so we'll all be watching with um, very interested eyes when the game comes on TV, is it's going to be the only way that, Anyone other than uh, Ward Carroll, Chris Cervello, and I, um, and uh, Bill Wagner are going to experience the game. Now, we'll try to bring you as much from inside the stadium as we can on game night, but Ward will be very busy with his chain and his gang. Um, so uh, I thought it was wonderful. Ward, um, as we go forward, I know we're going to bring a couple of pods this week. We're going to bring some more information about our virtual tailgate uh, slash um, BYU happy hour the night of the game. But, you know, what, what are you going to be watching for as we go forward? Um, I myself am wondering what the Big Ten is going to do because I'm hearing rumblings that they're going to they're gonna try to reignite their season in some way because they're getting housed politically about not playing. Really? You've, you've heard that? I have not heard that. Yeah, so apparently they're now looking at starting – a season like later on, like closer to closer to Thanksgiving uh, being that Thanksgiving is when all the students leave campus. So maybe it's safer to have football players back. The Naval Academy has done it right. They've done it well. They, they know what's going on. Um, and if that means right now that mids can't go to the game because of either governor Hogan or County executive Pittman or whatever, you know, I think that they have applied a lot of forethought and, and, and effort here. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, that's disappointing, no doubt. Uh, we had thought that the logic of a bubble would resonate with uh, the governor's office. Obviously, they're um, maybe trying not to establish a double standard with their constituents at Maryland Public Schools like Towson and University of Maryland. Um, but uh, in terms of what I'm looking forward to is just football, you know, and we can shred away all of the atmospherics and all of the other peripheral stuff um, that we've had to wade through. Uh, I mean, you know, we've had half a dozen episodes now about are we going to play? Um, are fans going to be allowed? Go, don't go. Yes, it's going to be huge. I mean, ever since our conversation with Chet, um, some time ago, uh, there's been a lot of prognostication and then adjusting and so forth. So I look forward to there actually being competition and we can have some real analysis based on outcomes and things that happen on the field and, and so forth and so on. And, and then going from there, I hope this each game gets uh, more and more normal that they sort of open the aperture and comfort level with respect to the COVID threat mitigates where we can have at least the brigade there. Um, and then from that point, you know, uh, sweet holders and then season ticket. I mean, it'd be awesome if we could get to that before the end of the season. And it's a game by game proposition as, as Bill and Matt have said on the show before, but for starters, look forward to, you know, getting into the stadium and uh, just watching watching football go on and then, then talking about what we saw. That's going to be a lot at this point. 
Yep, and we're gonna we're gonna definitely bring it to everybody. So, you know, as we get ready and evaluate BYU, we'll hear from uh, Pete Medhurst, uh, the voice of uh, Naval Academy football on WNAV. We'll hear from him in the next pod, and then as we get to game day, we're gonna try to bring you a um, you know a, a day of special uh, live, and hopefully hear from. Uh, Joe Miller, who's the uh, uh, color commentator for Navy football, and then a couple of other special guests on the day of the game. So stick with us here on Sing Second Sports. Thanks again for an awesome, awesome episode today, particularly Zerbin Singleton making time late at night in Germany while deployed. Um, Just another example of what's great about the U.S. Naval Academy and Naval Academy Athletics. So for Ward Carroll, my co-host, uh, for Bill Wagner, who continues to make time to join us as a special rotating guest while breaking news. For Chris Cervello, our producer, I am John Schofield. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the next pod. This is Sing Second Sports. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.